Hello and welcome to the Good Friends of Jackson Elias, a regular podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films and horror gaming in general. I'm Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Holwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. And in today's episode, we're going to be looking at the mythos deity, Nodens. Before we get into all that abyssal or abysmal stuff, what is going on? Well, I have my scenario, Full Fathom 5, now out for sale. Uh, if you wish to get a copy, then head on over to Drive Through RPG, where you can find it for the bargain price of $6.99. This is a scenario set aboard a whaling ship in 1847, inspired by such things as Moby Dick and monsters and being on a ship. It has layout by our very own Mr. Sanderson. Thank you again for all that layout you hey. did, Matt. And editing by our very own Scott as well as art by Mrs. Paul, also known as Lucy, and some great cover and interior artwork by good friend of the show, John Sumrow. And there is a lot that you get for your six ninety nine here. I mean, just the character sheets alone, because you did full character write-ups for every single person on that ship. For a reason that will become clear when you play it or run it, Yes, all 23 of the crew are detailed and Matt created custom period character sheets, which look great. And they each one has character art. I do sort of hesitate to say that it's 60 pages because if I saw that something was 60 pages and it was a one-off game or usually played as a one-off, I'd think that's a lot of pages. But it's a lot of pages because of such things as having 23 character sheets in it, lots of handouts and charts and, and so on. Yeah. yeah, the actual scenario itself is probably what about half of that page count is that? Oh, less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you edited it. It's less than it's about. I, don't know, I can't remember about fifteen thousand words, something like that. Including the character backgrounds, it was about eighteen thousand. Yeah, I remember reading through those again while I was putting them together in layout, and then seeing the cabin boy. The character I've played that has a soft spot in my heart has been the shortest-lived character I've ever played. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one who just jumped out of the crow's yeah, One roll, dead, done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Next. <laughs> and Scott, you've been appearing on other shows again. I say this like it's a bad thing. <laughs> It can't sound like a good thing. It is a good thing, though. Moonlighting. Uh. Which show have you been on? Well, I've been on a couple of different podcasts recently. I appeared on a panel discussion on the Without a Net podcast. They're an actual play podcast, but they also do these special episodes every now and then called Out of Character, where they have discussions about different aspects of role-playing games. And because they've been doing a lot of Call of Cthulhu recently, they decided to have a discussion about where it all came from, who H.P. Lovecraft was, and some of the controversy surrounding him, and just basically who he was. And so, yeah, that was quite an interesting chat. It was quite an extensive chat as well, I think. It went on for about an hour and a half. Mm. It's not fish-related, is it, without a net? Don't think so. Good. Well, I didn't ask what their opinions on line fishing were, but... That was possibly an oversight on my part. You don't need a net to cast a trackfish, do you? Oh. And also, I've been appearing on Ain't Slayed Nobody again. We did a crossover with How We Roll, and had Joe and Owen from How We Roll on there, and Cuppy Cup and Wes from Ain't Slayed Nobody, and I ran my Unland scenario from Fear Sharp Little Needles for them. I've seen a, a very impressive theatrical 
trailer for it online that Cuppy Cup has put out. I'll link to that from the show notes. That was fantastic. Yeah. He's really good at doing trailers for stuff like that. He is. <laughs> he did one for Fairyland as well, which was amazing. We need to do something like that for this show. We do. We need a kind of gravelly voiced like voiceover guy to do it, though. <laughs> I'm not going to start smoking again, Paul. Okay. And also, finally, if you back us on Patreon, you'll now have access to the Blasphemous Tome issue 5.5. Huzzah! We got it done! <laughs> and also, we've started work on issue 6, because we're gluttons for punishment, of the Blasphemous Tome. So we can still accept submissions for issue 6 up to the 18th of October. Yep, and issue 6 will be going out in paper-printed copy December to all our Patreon backers. Yes, and that one should go out on time because I think we've actually got it mostly written now, which is, I think, the quickest we've ever turned that around. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Don't tempt fate. And now on to our main topic, Mythos Deities, Nodens. I've been doing quite a lot of research on Nodens to help with the show, and I've found that if you go up the M6 and turn off on a, a small A-road to uh, Winsford, you can find it. It's there. Noden's Sandwich Shop. <laughs> Am I researching the right thing? Because I've got the whole menu and the prices. Well, at the very least, we'll have to link to that from the show notes so that any cultists of Noden's that we know out there can make their pilgrimage and commune yeah. with their deity. It's on the Welsh border, but the other end to somewhere else that we're going to talk about. They're probably doing more in the sandwich shop than he does in the stories. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I cut over you, Scott. Please tell us about the real history of Nodens. <laughs> well, this is a continuation of our series of episodes on Mythos Deities. And we figured we'd go into a deep dive here, as we've done in the previous ones, and get into the history of where Nodens came from. Was that a pun? Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> but I think it's fair to say that Nodens is one of the least used Lovecraftian deity. If... Probably not the least used, but certainly one of the least used in terms of Call of Cthulhu. He doesn't really turn up very often, and I think there's a variety of reasons for that, which we'll get into throughout the discussion. But we'll try to offer some ways in this episode in which we can make him a bit less, well, shit, really. Well, I think be a bit judgmental about the old fella. The hoary old fella. <laughs> he is indeed hoary. He is. I kept reading that phrase and thinking, hold on, what does hoary mean? So I looked it up. It means grey or white in the Bible, extremely old. There can be all sorts of reasons for something being hoary, whether it's covered in frost or salt or spider webs or just grey haired. Mm. It put me in mind of the phrase hoarfrost. Well, yeah, that's because hoarfrost is grey. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, which I hadn't really figured before. So where does the name Nodens come from? Because this is always kind of perplexed me you know most mythos deities Nialathotep and Yogsothoth and so on breaking news Lovecraft made them up heresy I know I know I'm sorry that's we know that's not the real truth but but Nodens it's like did he make it up because I'm pretty sure wasn't there a real god called Nodens or something like that in mythology and then I get confused should I use Nodens because is he actually like a mythos deity or is he a real world deity and I've never taken the time to really research this until now 
But we find that he is indeed a figure from mythology. It's not the only time Lovecraft did that. I mean, he made references in his stories to Dagon. That is true, of course. Who obviously came from the Old Testament, Bast or Bastet from Egyptian mythology, and Hypnos, the Greek god. I feel undermined now. I've <laughs> proven totally wrong. So, yeah, Lovecraft wasn't above taking stuff from mythology, and Nodens mm. is no exception here. I guess the difference is Nodens is probably much more obscure than those other three. There's plenty of material around those, plenty of images of Dagon with his fish hat online and various visual depictions saying Bast is everywhere and, you know, his, his love of cats. Hypnos, there's the famous statue the wing coming out of one ear that's in the British Museum. So again, there's lots of physical items or physical images for them. But there's bugger all on Nodens. He's almost uh, a bit like Mithras in that respect. It's almost like a mystery cult that there's pretty much just the name exists and very little else surrounding him. Well, there's a bit more than that. As we'll touch on, I think, quite soon, there are variations of Nodens' names which correspond to other deities in particularly Irish and Welsh mythology. So if we take him as an aspect of those gods, he's perhaps not that obscure. It's just under the name Nodens. Yeah, that really only tracks back to one location and one archaeological dig on the border between England and Wales. Near a certain sandwich shop. Well, no, actually, no, this is this location, Lydney Park, is it? Yeah. Uh, is right down in the south of the border near Gloucester. And we think Lovecraft probably encountered Nodens in Arthur Macken's The Great God Pan, which he read in 1923, in which Macken refers to the Temple of Nodens excavated at a former Roman settlement now at Lydney Park in Gloucester. In a small town near Kemain, there is a museum containing, for the most part, Roman remains which have been found in the neighbourhood at various times. I was shown a small square pillar of white stone which had been recently discovered in that open space where the Roman road broadens out. On one side of the pillar was an inscription of which I took a note. Some of the letters have been defaced, but I do not think there can be any doubt as to those which I supply. The inscription is as follows. To the great god Nodens, the god of the great deep or abyss, Flavius Senilis has erected this pillar on account of the marriage which he saw beneath the shade. The custodian of the museum informed me that local antiquaries were much puzzled, not by the inscription or by any difficulty in translating it, but as to the circumstance or rite to which allusion is made. So Litany Park, which is referred to in that story, this archaeological site, is actually fairly close to where Arthur Macon came from. He was born just the other side of the Welsh border, so this was like home grounds to him. So this archaeological site is a temple, perhaps, that dates back to the 4th century. It's an interesting one because it's a Roman site and it's a Roman temple, but to a Celtic god. Not maybe that. Not maybe that unusual. Because I can think of various of the. Well, maybe a little later there was the Saxon kings which were adopting Christianity, and very much they still had their settlements, but there was Christian iconography found. So the cultures can 
incorporate other cultures. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And I think, I don't know enough about this, I'm afraid, and I'm sure some of our more historically or archaeologically minded listeners will be able to expound upon this. But my understanding is, as polytheists, the Romans were quick to adopt or at least pay tribute to local deities and the lands they conquered. And so I assume that this is... Well, the the temple looks like it was created by this chap who we just heard reference to in that Arthur Macon reading, Titus Flavius Snitlis, uh, who may have been a naval officer. He seems to have somehow corresponded Nodens with the Roman god Neptune, which as a naval officer makes sense, that he sees Nodens as being a water deity, and has created this temple, I guess, to try to get his good favour. Mm. Yeah, and the site um, of the archaeological excavation, there's a mosaic floor depicting dolphins, fish, and sea monsters. <laughs> Clearly, we know what they're talking about there. As well as a number of bronze artefacts relating to fishing and the sea, including these headpieces, which had all sorts of designs on them that seemed to invoke perhaps Neptune, perhaps Nodens, you know, certainly they were of the sea. A number of lead tablets were also unearthed, including curses and votive offerings in Nodens' name. One translated to, for the god Nodens, Silvanius has lost a ring and has donated one half its worth to Nodens. Among those names, Senechianus, permit no good health until it is returned to the Temple of Nodens. The first word of the original Latin, Devo Nodenti, lend their name to a story we'll discuss later in the episode. And this is perhaps something that we can pick up on for Call of Cthulhu for a start. There's this custom from Roman times, these curse tablets, these lead tablets that people would inscribe curses upon. Quite often they were just thin, beaten pieces of lead that could be rolled up into almost like scrolls. And people would place them in temples, they'd bury them, they'd drop them in water. But I seem to remember hearing about another site a river somewhere in the UK where they've discovered a whole load of these where I guess there must have been some kind of sacred site that people associated with one of the Roman gods and they'd just drop all these in. And so these were like bargains that you'd make with the gods and say that if you take vengeance upon this person for me, they didn't even just have to be curses. They were sometimes like votive offerings or pleas for other things. So it could be like a love spell. Can you make so-and-so fall in love with me? Can you give me wealth or whatever? So these were the forms by which you'd make bargains with the gods. Yeah, I guess if we're going to use nodens in our game then this is perhaps one way of making contact with him, some form of the the contact node and spell that we could create, where you do create these lead tablets inscribed with whatever it is that you want from him. But also, traditionally, the gods want a price when you do that. That could, again, make things a bit more interesting if Noden suddenly wants something from you in return, particularly if it's something personal, something you really don't want to give up. Now, not being at all sea-like, statues of dogs were also found at the site. 
there may be some association with nodums in itself, possibly related to hunting. Dogs also represented healing as they lick their own wounds. So there's a possible link to nodums as a god of healing. Although I do have that image come to mind of Neaflatep with beasts licking his hands come to mind there. Dogs are traditionally associated with the dead. So there's a possible link to ghouls having some connection to Nodens as well, because also we know he's connected with the Dreamlands, and the ghouls obviously can burrow down there as well. So little little threads start coming together here. If you take those statues of dogs as perhaps being representations of ghouls, then yeah, that, that could be quite interesting. But all of this speaks to the fact that we don't really know what Nodens was a god of. So... There are these other versions of him, who we'll touch upon in a moment, in Ireland and in Wales, who may be gods of the hunt, so that would explain the dogs. Maybe he's a god of healing, maybe he's a god of the sea, maybe he's something else. We just don't know. Maybe just multitasks a lot. Yeah, it's very wide open, isn't it, as to what he may actually be, I think. Isn't there one one of the other gods, Is I think it's Minerva, who has quite a wide range of things that she's associated with. So it's, again, not uncommon for mm. Roman deities to kind of jam-pack in lots of different things that they happen to be a patron god of. Mm. Yeah, though obviously Nodens wasn't a Roman god. No, no, but even if he's been kind of yeah. adopted as such. They clearly didn't consider niche protection. <laughs> like in the class abilities and so on of the various gods. The site of this uh, excavation may also have been an incubatio, incubatio, some such. (laughs) Uh, My Latin isn't great. In fact, it's non-existent. A place for sick pilgrims to sleep and commune with the divine through dreams, as you do. Doesn't that just open up all sorts of possibilities for Call of Cthulhu? Oh, totally, yeah, yeah. God of fever dreams. Who doesn't want to commune with the divine through dreams? Obviously, you could have a Cthulhu Invictus game set at this site. Not knowing too much about Cthulhu Invictus, I asked our good friend William Adcock, who obviously knows a lot more about it, about what has been done with Nodens and Cthulhu Invictus. And he said that he doesn't know of anything specifically Invictus that's been done, but that he knows that the site in Gloucestershire is going to be covered in the upcoming Britannia supplement. He also said that he thought Adam Scott Glancy had done something that played with the lead tablets and the inscriptions and the site at Lydney Park for a Delta Green scenario, which involved Nodens recruiting wounded veterans to fight Nyarlathotep in the Dreamlands, which sounds rather cool. But it also occurs to me that this doesn't have to be limited to that period, that because this was dug up during the Gaslight era effectively, You could go for pretty well any of the classic periods of Call of Cthulhu and have a scenario set there where people are going to the site and making use of the fact that it is somehow connected to dreams and to nodens and just is this site where maybe the fabric is weak between the waking world and the dreamlands or that it just is such a holy site in Odin's that it's the best place to make contact with him. I was watching a documentary about Tolkien recently, I think it's the maker of Middle-earth or something like that on <laughs> on it was either Netflix or I've got a great memory for all these, <laughs> all these facts and details at my fingertips. Anyway, yeah, so it was based on a, a book that I read some years ago. Basically, the guy has looked at the various points around Britain that Tolkien may have been inspired by for some of the locations in Middle-earth. And he mentioned an essay by Tolkien about Nodens, and that kind of flagged up 
my interest. Looking that up, it's an essay that he published in 1932 discussing the word nodens, which he says appears in three inscriptions, as we've discussed, found excavations in Lydney Park in Gloucestershire. He records that nodens appears to be the name of an otherwise unrecorded god. I read what I could find of the essay. It was quite hard to find. I managed to find a version online and it gets quite etymological and the derivation of words and so on and a lot of jargon that I didn't really grasp and then I read the introduction and the guy's like oh yeah I cut this down to about half its length and taken out all the technical stuff and I'm like, okay <laughs> I struggled with what there was there's no way I'm going to understand Tolkien's original one mm. but you know he's a professor of language so Tolkien getting bogged down in detail nah that'll never happen oh yes he says a few things of interest about Nodens though so he links the name with the old Irish Nuadu, who was the king of the, now I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, Tuatha de Danann, who were at one time rulers of Ireland, and a Welsh figure named Nud. Tolkien goes on to trace the name in other ancient languages and finally comes to the conclusion that the name refers to either the catcher, the snarer, or the hunter, and that there's an aspect of the name in the words and the derivation of the words that means hand. This figure, Nuada, also known as Argot Lam, was the king of the Silver Hand who ruled the Tuatha Dinan, who may be regarded in great measure as a reduced form of the ancient gods or goddesses. There's a bit about how one of these figures lost their hand and then they had the hand kind of gifted to them again by this godly figure. So there's in some way this figure, he sort of, doesn't really pin it down to a god named Nodens, but he tracks it back to other figures who he says that name may have also been derived from. So it's all fairly open to interpretation and a bit vague. Just as a slight aside from a role-playing point of view, this also indirectly led to Michael Moorcock's Corum stories in which the title character Corum loses a hand and an eye well, in conflict with demon lords and ends up having them replaced with the hand and eye of a god, which in turn very much inspired the D&D hand of Vecna and eye of Vecna. That's pretty much where they came from. I was thinking mm. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's our frames of reference, Matt. Yeah, so Tolkien, he wrote an essay on it, but beyond that, I'm not sure that we have much more to add. Essentially, Nodens something of a historical figure but well a mythological figure i read a number of the same kinds of things in a different book i've got a book that i picked up a while back called celtic folklore by john reese he goes in i think possibly in slightly less technical terms but it's still a heavy read into the different variations of nodens as you mentioned noadu and noada and mm. nud he also mentions that Lud may be a variation, or Chlud, if it's Welsh, which may be the origin of the name Lydney Park. It could be Ludney Park. Mm. But it's also potentially the origin of the name Ludgate in London, which, I mean, I mean that's obviously a bit of a distance away, but it does make me wonder whether that means that Ludgate at least built on a holy site of Nodens. But again, what that might mean in a game, <laughs> go on a pilgrimage to Ludgate. Someone's got to, I suppose. As well as Neptune, Nodens have been associated with the Roman god Mars. Noada was sometimes associated with Jupiter, 
So again, yeah, he gets around a bit. He gets around the pantheon. He gets around the country. Nodens has been variously defined as a god of fertility and medicine, fisherman, or the hunt. Yeah, concepts he gets around a lot as well. This is uh, mm. he's quite a busy hoary old man. Well, and also if we go with Nud in Welsh folklore as being Nodens. His son, Gwynapnud, whose name I'll probably mispronounce completely there, apologies to our Welsh listeners, is also the king of the Tilathteg, the, the fairies, the, the fair folks, the little people, and is the leader of the wild hunt. So if you wanted to bring in all sorts of fairy mythology and so on in there, that's all connected to Nodens via that one link. The Wild Hunt opens up its own can of worms, that that's variations all over Scandinavia, Northern Europe, etc. Listeners interested in learning more about the origins of Nodens should read Nodens, Metamorphosis of a Deity by Marco Franchkowski in Crypt of Cthulhu, issue 87, which I think uh, you can find online somewhere, right, Scott? Yeah, it's available for sale from the Crypt of Cthulhu website. Excellent. It was originally published in physical form, but they've scanned it in and they're selling PDFs of it. So, yeah, I'll link to that from the show notes. Now let's take a look at how did Lovecraft use Nodens? Sparingly. (laughs) Well, as with many of his gods, I suppose it was often just a, a throwaway reference to a name. When you know, when you do do a search and find on the documents of his stories for a particular god, often you find like, oh, there's the name. What does it say about them? Not much. It just kind of refers to them. It's kind of like the equivalent of a deity name drop. Notens only appears in two of his stories. There's the strange high house in the mist, which was published in well he wrote in 1926 and was published in 1931 in weird tales and then there's the dream quest of unknown kadath which wasn't published in lovecraft's lifetime which he wrote over the period of about a year at the same time as he was doing the strange high house in the mist so we're not really sure which was the first appearance but it's fairly academic Hmm. so he's an elder god described as hoary as discussed earlier, and also the Lord of the Abyss. So what do we get from that? What does that mean, the Lord of the Abyss? Insert many potential explanations here. (laughs) Well, it depends how you think of the Abyss. In Call of Cthulhu terms, the Abyss is very much a location in the Dreamlands, right? Mm -hmm. It's in the Underworld, I believe. Or at least below Mm. the rest of the Dreamlands. And that does seem to correspond with the way it's described in the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. He seems to mainly reside in the Dreamlands and is associated with Night Gaunts. And they appear to serve him. He is their master. And also we learn that he has an ongoing conflict or rivalry with the other god, Nalathotep. This turns up an awful lot in the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath that the two of them seem to be playing almost a game with Randolph Carter as a pawn in it. Nealothotep is trying to fuck Carter over and Noden sort of bails him out and offers him at least a bit of advice and takes pleasure in foiling Nealothotep's plot. At the time, Lovecraft considered the strange high house in the mist to be, quote, by all odds, my own favourite among my recent yarns. It is quite evocative, I'll give it that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very poetic story. There's not actually very much that happens in it. It's not a particularly plot-driven story. 
you've got this guy who turns up in Kingsport or goes exploring in Kingsport, discovers that there is this strange high house in the mist after talking to some of the locals. I mean, it's pretty inaccessible, so it's basically on a cliff, <laughs> cliff face. It's a sheer cliff on one side, on the other it's a very steep slope up. But he clambers his way up there and meets the the resident and then has a visitation. Well, you described it as inaccessible. I mean, that's an understatement because mm. when he approaches it, there are the three sides of the house that face inland have windows, small windows. The door mm. is opening over the cliff where the house like is flush with the edge of the cliff. So it's like, okay, I'm not quite sure how you get in here. With difficulty <laughs> or climbing equipment. Yeah. But yes, as you say, a strange visitation from a strange figure. The story also references other Lovecraft stories, The Terrible Old Man and... The Festival. Yeah, I mean, I really took my time reading this one because it is short and I just sat down the other afternoon and read it and really took my time and kind of soaked it up. I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, there was a lot of... I just found really good imagery in it. As you say, it's not a plot-driven one, but... um. Yeah. Very enjoyable read. It does have, I think, some of Lovecraft's best prose in it. I'll give it that. And yeah, like you say, mm. it's a very evocative story. I wouldn't call it one of my favourites, but yeah, I, I, it certainly has its merits. I just love the fact that the terrible old man gets more screen time than the god. And then to the sound of obscure harmonies, there floated into that room from the deep all the dreams and memories of Earth's sunken mighty ones. And golden flames played about weedy locks, so that Oni was dazzled as he did them homage. Trident-bearing Neptune was there, and sportive Tritons, and fantastic Nerids, and upon dolphins' backs was balanced a vast crenulate shell, wherein rode the grey and awful form of primal Nodens, lord of the great abyss, and from the conchers of the Tritons gave weird blasts, and the Nerids made strange sounds by striking on the grotesque resonant shells of unknown lurkers in black sea caves. Then Hori Nodens reached forth a wizened hand and helped Oni and his host into the vast shell, whereat the conches and the gongs set up a wild and awesome clamour. And out into the limitless ether reeled that fabulous train, the noise of whose shouting was lost in the echoes of thunder. So what do we make of that depiction of Nodens? What does it actually tell us about him? Yeah, it's a lovely sea-themed entourage, I'll give him that. And it certainly seems to tie in with this idea that he is somehow associated with Neptune. Yeah, but we get, also I notice, we get a lot of references to him as primal Nodens. Mm. In the next quote, we get archaic Nodens. It really seems to make a point, though, about Nodens being old. Mm. There's a short quote in Dream Quest where he's talking about the night gaunts need not fear. And then he, he refers to them as, as own not Nealarthotep for their master, but bow only to potent and archaic Nodens. It's like, it's almost sort of saying in parts that Nodens is older than Nealarthotep, it seems. As if he predates some of these other gods. It seems to be an implication to me, at least. Well, that does certainly tie in with the description of him as being one of the elder gods. Mm. Because if you think of the term elder. Yeah. Most of the stuff that Lovecraft wrote about Dodens actually comes from the Druin Coast of Unknown Kadath. 
There are about a, a half dozen references to him in the story, but Lovecraft does repeat himself. This is very much like his description of the court of Azathoth in that he just goes back and hammers home the same description pretty much over and over again. So we've really cut this down to one quote. Otherwise, there would be an awful lot of redundancy. And with his hideous escort, he had half hoped to defy even the other gods, if need were, knowing as he did that ghouls have no masters and that night-gaunts own not Nalathotep, but only archaic nodens for their lord. But now he saw that supernal Kadath in its cold waste is indeed girt with dark wonders and nameless sentinels, and that the other gods are of a surety vigilant in guarding the mild, feeble gods of earth. Void as they are of lordship over ghouls and night-gaunts, the mindless, shapeless blasphemies of outer space can yet control them when they must. But for the half-dozen references that we get like that in Dreamcast of Unknown Kadath, we don't really learn a lot about Nodens other than he's old, he's an elder god, he's hoary, he is the master of the night-gaunts, and he is the lord of the abyss. I mean, that's fairly evocative, but that's pretty much it. A whole load of grandiose titles, not much detail. Yes. But then again, other writers have run with him since then. So how have other writers developed Nodens? So Derleth kind of took it in a good versus evil in his take on the mythos and categorised the gods into various elements and so on. And he cast Nodens and the Elder Gods as the jailers of the Great Old Ones. Heresy! Uh, no. Uh, this is built upon slightly more entertainingly, perhaps in Gary Meyer's The House of the Worm. I've actually ordered a copy of that recently. Aha! So. Uh-huh. Yeah, I should have that turning up. I reread it for the first time in decades the other day. It's a very short book. I mean, mm. it's less than 100 pages. I know that's what appealed to me, for one thing. <laughs> yeah, he builds very much upon Derleth, but takes things in a slightly more entertaining way. And so he does have the Great Old Ones imprisoned there within the Dreamlands by Nodens in this sort of strange house, or at least underneath this strange house. But that all breaks down and things start getting out. It is still very much that Derleth war in heaven approach, but I'd say he does make it a bit more fun. And A.A. Antanasio in the story A Priestess of Nodens presents us with a Nodens that's a, a kind of a healing force, offering knowledge and health to a group of neo-pagans, albeit with a sinister edge. Yeah, I like Antanasio's work, but this story, I don't know, it, it seemed very... Uh, mundane. Maybe I missed something. He's the same for the wrote the star pools, isn't he? That uh, yeah. the um, the burning stars scenario is based on. Yep, and glimpses. And he wrote a number of mythos short stories. They were collected together in a book, the name of which is escaping me, but I'll link to it from the show notes, where he links them all together with some fairly bizarre prose and turns it all into this ongoing prayer or devotional to Shibnigarath. And, yeah, it's it's <laughs> weird. And then we have Devo Nodenti by Keris MacDonald from the book The Private Life of Elder Things, which I believe the two of you have read, but mm. I've yet to read that one. So uh, 
What do we make of that story? I quite liked it. Probably in ways that Scott will find abhorrent, but I quite liked it. <laughs> what, what did you like about it? Oh, on a cute little night gaunt. <laughs> it had a cute night gaunt, like a, a plushy night gaunt or a... Yes, the cute night gaunt is this nightmarish figure that is haunting our protagonist and has been haunting her since her early years, acting as this manifestation of her guilt, appearing to her every night over the horrible things that she did and the deal that she struck with Nodens many years back. It appears as a sort of a classic sleep paralysis demon pressing down on her every night as she sleeps. This hideous, oily, angular thing that just haunts her the whole time. So Oh, yes, like you say, Matt, cute. Yeah, but from, from the angle I took it, because she's had this thing living with her for so many decades, that she's almost become used to it. I mean, she's even given it a name. Mm. And the fact that she's presented as quite a lonely character, I thought it was actually quite cute that she had someone to pass away the years with and it was a constant companion. So in that respect, I did actually find it quite cute. <laughs> but that to me is like saying, yeah, the telltale heart. Yeah, all right, he heard that hideous heart beating from under the floorboards. But yeah, at least it stopped him being lonely. But he could also use it as a metronome. So yeah, it has various purposes. <laughs> <laughs> Matt always looks on the bright side. But one thing I really liked about this story is the fact that MacDonald presents Nodens in a way that actually makes him not just interesting, but actually quite frightening, or at least sinister. Grey was her first impression, grey and awful. Its long hair was grey, exactly the same colour as its draping robes, and covered its face so fully that she could only guess the shape of the head beneath, and imagine the hollows of the eyes watching her. At its feet lay the carcass of a dolphin, gutted to expose its pink entrails and the silver spill of the fish that had formed its last meal. Crabs were feasting on both. What do you want, Peggy? Noden's voice was a whisper, a trickle of shale fragments on a barren scree slope. Then she realised that the hair, just like the silks, was nothing more than cobweb, layer upon layer of the stuff, thickly coated in dust. Those drapes were neither hair nor robes, and the true form of that hunched and shrouded figure was something she suddenly did not want to descry. Nodens tilted its head. There was something weird about her vision. She thought she could not tell if the figure was human-sized and close or further away and unspeakably vast. It seemed to change every time she tried to focus. You know, suddenly I don't like the guy that much doing horrible things to nice, cute little dolphins. <laughs> I'm just thinking Father Ted now, but <laughs> yes. near, far away. <laughs> but I think this story is one that, if you're looking at using Nodens in your games, is one that you probably really should read, because it does really dig into, no pun intended, the archaeology of Lydney Park and the whole connection with dreams and cursed tablets and stuff like that. And it really links the mythological Nodens with the Lovecraftian Nodens very nicely. Particularly the section that they described, the Cavern of Flame. Mm. That was quite nice because up until then, if you take the basic description from Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, yeah, you go down a flight of stairs... There's a flame with two guys with Egyptian dress. And then you go down another flight of stairs. This added a bit more of a weird kind of surreal take yeah. on that location. Yeah, it made it feel more dreamlike. Hmm, funny that. But it really does play upon that idea that, yes, you can go to Nodens for help. 
but you don't necessarily want to because A, he is creepy as fuck, and B, he is going to want something in return. And I suppose this is one of the things that I've always objected to about Nodens in Call of Cthulhu, which is it has a real kind of we-call-the-police vibe to it. Nodens, Nodens, Nyalathotep's being mean to me. Can you do something about it? <laughs> it seems like it's a way for the investigators to avoid conflict, to avoid having to solve their own problems. Let's call upon Nodens and make it his problem. I don't know. When we've played upon, we'll get to mentions of where he appears in the RPG later, but one of the bigger campaigns in which he appears, I do remember having called upon him numerous times or trying to do so, uh, that the Keeper eventually just said, your, your spell doesn't work. And then when someone else tried it, he took him out of the room. They came back and said, Nodens is fed up with you calling him. Stop doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost like, you keep holding up the line, man. Go away. Let other calls through. Now let's look at how Nodens has been used in Call of Cthulhu. Also, sparingly, as I mentioned earlier, I was having a think about this and going through my quite large collection of Call of Cthulhu material and really found it hard to find almost anything. Mm -hmm. There are instances in some scenarios where he has a bare mention. Normally, again, scenarios that relate to the Dreamlands where it's just a name check rather than an actual appearance. But in terms of actually appearing in scenarios, there are only three that I can actually find. This is a combination of scenarios and campaigns. The obvious one is The House on the Edge, which is from the Kingsport, the City in the Mist source book from Chaosium. They've done a few of these where it was scenarios that are very much inspired or the telling of stories, a bit like you find the Dunwich Horror in the Dunwich source book. This is very much the scenario of The Strange High House in the Mist. Then there's also The Sense of the Sleight of Hand Man from Arc Dream, which is you know, Dreamland's campaign, so unsurprisingly he mm -hmm. does actually appear in a section in that, but even so it's only, I believe, one appearance in there. It's not that he's a presence all the way through the campaign. And got the other one, the big one, Mask of Nyarlathotep, because as we've already discussed, he has a beef with the Gob of the Thousand Faces, so he makes an appearance there. The recent publication of Malleus Monstrorum obviously has an entry about Nodens, which I found pretty interesting. It, it also makes the point about Nodens perhaps surpassing even the age of Azathoth, and whose task is to maintain the fabric of life, a term perhaps meant to mean maintain the universe. So rather than as the great old ones and outer gods are sort of uh, said to do to sort of be looking at sort of destroying the world or recreating the cosmos in their own design nodens is sort of cast in the role of trying to keep things as they are which is a very different mm. take on it and he uses dreams as well as rare physical manifestations to interact with people and i thought this was quite a nice turn of phrase but rather than using nightmarish visions and terror to drive folk to action it uses honey and sweet words, which I thought was quite a, a cool idea. So it may give the appearance that it's helping you if your aims are kind of in alignment with it, perhaps as it did with Randolph Carter in Dream Quest. But obviously it's not really helping. Its objective isn't to help mankind, mm. but it may be to thwart the actions of some of the other gods. But sometimes the enemy of our enemy is our friend. For a little while at least. I prefer that approach. I do like that. It still leaves me with that one question of if Nodens is this godlike figure, then 
why does he need humanity to do stuff for him? If he has the power to preserve the fabric of the universe to counteract the corrosive effects of the great old ones, then calling upon the investigators to do anything seems like someone trying to maintain a ship and then trying to call upon tame rats somewhere within to help with the maintenance of the whole thing. It seems like more effort than it's worth. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. It's very difficult to bring any of the mythos gods in for that reason. I had exactly the same feeling about Nalathotep. Why Mm. would he have an interest in what humanity does? Why would he try and influence humankind? What possible reason could there be? Because if they're so powerful, then why bother with these little ants crawling around in the garden of, of the earth? So I think we have to find our own reasons for that, really. Just as we did with our last tap, it's the same thing with Nodens to me. Maybe he just likes to outsource. Maybe it's the small things that he's very much beneath him. Give it to the humans to do while he concentrates on the bigger stuff. Mm. I don't know if it's still the case in the new Malleus Monstorum. I looked at the old one. The description of him is kind of... I guess a bit at odds with the stories, maybe not, in that he's described as being of normal human size, but sort of exceptionally good-looking, like, you know, preternaturally handsome. Ah, that's just that's just what they do on dating sites. They put a much younger photo of them up there as uh, the marketing material. It <laughs> <laughs> sounded like an old hand at this, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it turns up in person and finds the photo was taken about 2,000 years ago. You're hoarier than I thought you'd be. <laughs> Yeah, you, your image in that mural looks nothing like you. Yeah, I, I read that this morning, so I don't recall reading about it being a better-looking version of human form. I don't recall that. So I think that's been, it has yeah. been pretty heavily revised. And th- also in the earlier one, I don't know if it's the case in the new one, there's the fact that he doesn't engage in combat directly, that if he ends up in a physical conflict, which... Okay, that's probably not something that should happen anyway. But if you do end up with that happening in a game, then he basically just calls upon an infinite number of night gaunts to deal with his foes. Seems fair. Yep. (laughs) Unleash the night gaunts. He's a delegator. Have we used Nodens in any of our games? Or any ideas for how you might do that? I've not personally used him. But there is the line in the Cthulhu Mythos Encyclopedia that I latched onto when having a look at the description there that Kenneth Grant has attributed him as his role of the Lord of the Abyss, that Mm. the Abyss is almost the repository of the human shared consciousness so that he is some gatekeeper to the the shared realm of humanity's, as I said, consciousness and dreams, which I think is definitely something I'd like to explore. Would have liked to have read up more on Grant's thinking there, but the book that reference comes from is exceptionally expensive when you try to find it online. (laughs) Night Side of Eden, it's called. This whole idea of him being the Lord of the Abyss, if you take it as being the Abyss from Ritual Magic, opens up all sorts of interesting possibilities. So the Abyss there is that sort of gap in the tree of life if you look at it from a cabalistic point of view the place where the path is broken or alternatively if you're thinking of it in terms of magical development it's the the point at which to achieve true magical consciousness you have to undergo ego death and remake your consciousness in such a way that you can connect with the cosmos as a whole and placing nodens as the lord of that 
puts him in a direct correspondence with the demon Corinzon, who in Thelema is the demon who guards the abyss there, who is there to destroy the ego and allow the adept to move beyond that point and to achieve this cosmic consciousness. And so that does sort of make Corinzon perhaps an avatar of Nodens. I think from memory, Corazon's actually a name that was stolen for one of the Dreamlands avatars of Cthulhu. I might be wrong on that. That's just something that I've, I know I've seen some, um, well, at least think I've seen somewhere. You could also potentially attribute that transformation kind of in a parallel to ego death as maybe what happens to Olney in the Strange High House in the Mist, that after he comes back mm. from his trip, that he is changed, that something, yeah. has, something has been taken from him. Like even the terrible old man says that the thing that came back was not all that went up. Mm. Yeah, that he becomes, in that respect, almost like an agent of enlightenment, Mm. or at least of transformation. I was looking through the Wikipedia article about Corinson, and there were a couple of nice quotations there. He was described by Alistair Crowley as a temporary personification of the raving and inconsistent forces that occupy the abyss. And... That would present a very different aspect of Nodens, because we see him as being this very, I guess, staid, solid, as you were describing from the new Malleus Monstarum, sort of healing, binding entity. But it's it's almost like this flip side of him that is something far more chaotic and frightening. When he's on his own, he just screams into the void. Yeah. And then puts on a poker face to deal with humanity. But that got me wondering... If there were cults of Nodens, what would they be like? You could go back to the original versions of Nodens from Lydney Park and think about perhaps fishing communities or hunting communities or whatever, or or people who draw upon his healing energy. And maybe there's that. That's the much more benign side of things. Mm. I was thinking more along the lines of sort of weird psychonauts exploring inner space, drawing upon the knowledge of the abyss to destroy and remake themselves inside, the same way as some people use psychedelic drugs. I was having this picture of, because it's all about people writing wrongs or putting curses or wanting something from him to put right something, very much like in Keris McDonald's story, that you almost have this cult of watchers that are constantly on vigil for those that look like they've been wronged or those angry at something and then just almost being like the demon on the shoulder Mm. presenting them with this option that if you want to put this right all you've got to do is do this and that maybe they get something out of it as well but they're almost like the um the conveyor belt feeding more people to nodens for them to get to do his thing and that he then in turn gets stuff from them (laughs) i'm suddenly thinking of buffy where you've got those demons of vengeance, like, uh, what was it, Anya and her friend, who basically go around looking for wronged people to latch onto Mm. and sort of, yes, we can sort your problems out. Similar kind of thing then, but I've I've only watched a handful of episodes of Buffy. That doesn't ring any bells to me. It's from fairly late on in the series. Ah. It seems like there should be some crossover with Deep Ones with all the Mm. watery themes and Neptune and everything. They just get pissed off every time they find he's got a disemboweled dolphin at his feet. I can't imagine Deep Ones being too gentle with dolphins. I imagine they probably eat dolphins. Aww. Poor dolphins. But I was thinking about this idea of the price you might pay as well, that 
you could almost have perhaps contracts where you yeah it, it's like the the old faustian bargain where you effectively sell your soul to nodens but in this case play upon the idea of dreamers living on the dreamlands that you are basically binding yourself to him to become his agent or his servant in the dreamlands for whatever it is he wants done there mm. after your death i've had something similar done with hypnos rather than nodens but yeah the same thing could apply because all the gods have got yeah. their different agendas there yeah because if you do see him as being in this conflict ongoing conflict with nialathotep having some kind of army of dead dreamers there that he could call upon could be quite useful oh, who knows that that's not where night gaunts come from that they are in fact parts of dead mm. dreamers that he actually is harvesting parts of them to make this infinite number of night gaunts that he adds at his disposal you're listening to the good friends of jackson elias you can find show notes for this episode at blasphemoustomes.com where you'll also find all our social media presences we have t-shirts and other merchandising available at our redbubble store if you're enjoying this show please consider backing us at patreon.com forward slash good friends of jackson elias thank you for listening well, it is that time once again when we would like to, well, maybe not write everyone's name down on lead tablets and offer our praises that way, but certainly speak them aloud. For a start, we would like to thank everyone who listens to the show. We would like to thank everyone who has backed us at any stage. And we have a few new people to thank by name. Yeah, and before we go on with those, we'd like to thank everybody who signed up for Scott's Games recently. I put a message out on Patreon for people who wanted to play in a playtest of a new game Scott's working on. As we record, you're going to be playing these games in the next week or so, Scott. Yes. Hope that all goes well. Yes, so do I. It's it's all very half-assed at the moment. And I'm really grateful to our backers who've signed up for this to help me hammer it into some kind of playable shape and our first thanks to our new patrons goes out to alex writes loud sounds a bit like me banging away on a keyboard apparently i'm quite loud doing that also thanks to david n rios and thank you very much to daniel rhodes thanks to patrick corcoran and thanks to gavin peebles and thank you very much to ruben strid and thank you to the wonderfully named dj shadow penguin fringing the abyss as always <laughs> That, that should be the name of their first album, Fringing the Abyss. And thank you also to Heather McNamee. Hopefully I pronounced the name right then. And thank you very much to Jacob W. Paisley. And thank you to the Arkham Community College Expeditionary Society. Nothing ever bad happened to a Miskatonic University expedition ever. No. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for your patronage and <laughs> good luck. <laughs> And also thanks to Jeremy Short. And thank you very much, finally, to Christopher Nichols. Okay, well, I hope we've managed to enlighten the world about the wonderful truth that is Nodens, spreading the good news. And until next time, it's a good night from me. Cheerio from me. And farewell from me. Hello. BlasphemousTomes.com It's like God Monopoly, got to catch them all. Yeah. God Monopoly? Don't you mean Pokemon? No, I was thinking more Monopoly, but yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Matt's just made his own new game there. Yeah. <laughs> Pokemonopoly. There you go. <laughs>
Uh-huh. It was to- Nodens in the temple with the lead tablet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, there's a version of Cluedo I'd like to play. <laughs> I was going to try to work a joke in there about uh, somewhere about with with all the dog statues. My dog's got no Nodens, or my dog's <laughs> no, my dog's got Nodens. How does he spell abysmal? But it, I, I couldn't really make it work. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> uh. 